Coming to you from the Forge of Freedom studio in the heart of America, a podcast dedicated to preserving freedom and inspiring personal success. Freedom is born and lives through you, the individual, and it dies in the shadows of tyranny. Motivating our listeners to become well-rounded, freedom-minded people with the body of an athlete, the mind of a stoic, and the spirit of a warrior. The Tree of Liberty lives on through you, the Forge of Freedom. And now, here's your host, Alex Uli. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forge of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 94 of the Forge of Freedom. Today for Monday Gun Day, I've got Mike Uli back in the studio uh, to talk about a few things. First of all, we're going to provide you with an update with respect to the sensitive places ban in California. We discussed a little bit in the last episode, but there's been some an update since the last time we were on. Uh, And we're also going to talk to you today about body armor. Uh, It's a type of arm that is... uh, not talked about a whole lot in in Second Amendment and self-defense media, and we just want to give you some basic information about uh, body armor, why people might want it. You know, there's lots of people who say, why would you want body armor? That seems like a something that only preppers or people who are paranoid would have. Uh, but I think there's, there's more to it than that. So uh, with that said, Mike, before we get into the news, welcome back to the studio. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks That's for right. having me. <laughs> Didn't have the microphone over there. Yeah, I can start over. No, you can leave that in there. I mean, yeah, it's okay. All right. Sorry. You're good. Uh, I'll just mark it. Try it. It's a good time to edit. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Wave. That way I know that it's the mark. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Forge of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 94 of the Forge of Freedom. Uh, today, for Monday Gun Day, I've got Mike Uli back in the studio. Uh, welcome back to the studio, Mike. Thanks for having me, Alex. And today, we're going to talk about just a brief update with the news and the sensitive places ban out in California. We talked about it a little bit in the last episode. Uh, at least the last Monday gun day episode, and that's the May v. Bonta case. But we're also going to talk, and our primary topic for the day is going to be about body armor. And of course, this is something that's not discussed quite as much uh, in the self-defense and the Second Amendment media, but I think it's it's worthwhile thinking about it and, and at least knowing about and what to consider. You know, lots of folks think, why would I want body armor? That's something that only preppers and people who are paranoid have. But uh, I think there's more to it than that and something that's that's worth considering for, for lots of folks. And a lot of people don't know what the law is. So we're, we'll talk a little bit about sort of the ins and outs of body armor, but also some of the law surrounding body armor. So with that said, um, Mike, let's talk a little bit about uh, so-called SB2 out in California, which is, of course, the sensitive places ban out there. It was a Bruin response bill. Those who don't know Bruin, uh, it was a decision, the most recent decision by the Supreme Court with respect to the Second Amendment uh, was built on top of the Heller and the McDonald decision. And it really spurred a lot of litigation in the federal courts throughout the country. And there are states like California, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York that have uh, passed bills to try to minimize 
freedom uh, in response to Bruin. And one of those, one of the ways that they're doing that is with so-called sensitive places bans. And in California, this SB2 basically made just about anywhere you might go off limits, uh, calling nearly every place uh, a sensitive place where a firearm could not be carried. And you're not exaggerating that. It literally is almost every place in the state of California. Yeah. And the the opinion, I'll, I'll link to this if I can remember to. I know I linked to it in the last Monday, Gunday episode, but I'll link to the opinion. Uh, I read through the entire opinion. It was a very good one from the, the uh, district court out there in California, uh, which is, of course, the lowest level court in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And the uh, opinion issued uh, an injunction with respect to SB2. So basically it said uh, that the plaintiffs were likely to prevail on the merits and that without an injunction, without pausing the law, without putting it on hold, that there would be irreparable harm to the people affected by the law. So after that injunction was issued by the district court, the Ninth Circuit, which has been engaged in lots of anti- Liberty anti-Second Amendment uh, shenanigans uh, over the last several months uh, issued what's called an administrative stay. So they didn't even hear the case. uh, They didn't even hear the arguments on the injunction. They just simply stayed the injunction, which meant that it would allow the law to go into effect on January 1st. And they issued that stay on December 30th, uh, so right before the new year. Can I just interject? The reason they did that, it's important to understand, just if you want to understand the Ninth Circuit administratively, they did that based upon a motion from the state of California that was filed as a, quote, emergency, end quote, motion. So this motion panel heard this, not on the merits. They just heard this emergency motion from the state of California. Yeah. I'm so, sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. That's a, that's a helpful explanation because this motions panel hears this uh, emergency motion from the state of California. They issue the administrative stay on December 30th, which it really put a lot of folks in jeopardy because you and I, we're kind of plugged into the Second Amendment and, and the law and, and you know the things going on with our right to keep and bear arms. But there are lots of folks who may have thought the injunction was still in place and could be violating the law come January 1st uh, with that injunction stayed. Uh, nevertheless, about a week later... Well- don't forget what happens on January 1st. If the law goes into effect. So now, basically, California is off limits to a law-abiding citizen to lawfully carry a handgun. And that remained true for about a week. And then uh, the merits panel, which is the panel that will hear the litigation on the injunction on the merits, uh, my understanding is in April, they will hear that the oral argument on that. Uh, they lifted or terminated the administrative stay so that the injunction would go back into effect. So uh, the injunction is in effect with respect to California's sensitive places ban. Uh, And so I I think that will probably remain the case at least until April, probably a couple of months after April, by the time the merits panel issues a decision about the injunction. So uh, one place I would encourage you to check out, uh, of course, the California Rifle and Pistol Association, I think, is one of the best organizations to follow with respect to litigation in California and in the Ninth Circuit. Uh, And, of course, they uh, I think it's Costas uh, Moros does a lot of the writing 
for their briefing in, in the case out there in May v. Bonta. So definitely check out Ca- uh, California Rifle and Pistol Association if you want uh, a lot of the best and latest information about what's going on there in California. So that's just a brief update. We wanted to follow up with uh, all of you about that because the information we gave in the last Monday Gunday is now out of date since the um, merits panel terminated the stay on the injunction. Yep. So, but the assault weapons ban, high capacity magazine ban in Illinois remains in place. Yeah. yeah. So, in both of those cases, you're just going to have to bake a while. It's going to take a while before we get com- complete and final answers with respect to legislation in both of those states. Yeah, exactly. All right, Mike. So I, I think that's where we'll leave it with SB2 for now. You want to get into to body armor? Let's uh, talk about it. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, I think we're going to do uh, we're going to do a few episodes with a little bit of a common theme, uh, sort of about the propaganda uh, around ancillary equipment, ancillary devices to the firearm. You know, a lot of times we talk about and lots of folks talk about the firearm uh, and firearms themselves. Um, but there's a lot of things like uh, suppressors. Uh, body armor, uh, you know, uh, pistol braces, uh, things like that, where there's so much propaganda built up around those, and they're they're demonized. Well, assault wi- assault weapons. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, that's the firearm itself, right? Yeah, yeah but, exactly. But propaganda, not only with respect to firearms, but with uh, these ancillary uh, uh, devices and equipment. So one of those, of course, is body armor, which mm-hmm. we're we're going to talk about today. So, uh, Mike. What 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 is body armor? I well, guess. For, uh, yeah, we'll talk. Let's get before we get into that though. Just in my mind, kind of the way I'm thinking about this right now. Let's talk about the question about whether body armor is protected by the Second mm-hmm. Amendment or not first, because okay. that's always most important to me. Is what the Second Amendment says about this issue of body armor, and we'll talk about exactly what body armor is. I think most of your listeners have an idea of what it is, but it's basically. A piece of equipment that you wear that will protect you in some instances from uh, bullets. Yeah. Uh, it's not bulletproof uh, by any stretch. We'll talk about that. But uh, let's talk about the Second Amendment first. Is yeah. it an arm that's protected by the Second Amendment? Yeah. So as as we all know, uh, the Second Amendment uh, protects an individual right to keep and bear arms, a pre-existing right to keep and bear arms. Uh, it doesn't provide us with that right. But the question, of course, is what is an arm within the meaning of the Second Amendment? Yeah, and there's there's not a litigation on that. Uh, well, strike that. There may be litigation on that, but we don't have clear guidance from the, from the uh, Supreme Court about whether or not body armor is absolutely protected by the Second Amendment. But we do have one case from the uh, Supreme Court um, it wasn't a full-blown case, so to speak, but a case where uh, I think it was the state of Massachusetts uh, outlaw or banned. I'm not sure what their statute did. It outlawed or banned or severely restricted stun quote stun guns. Um, and the Supreme Court said in that case, listen, just because they didn't exist at the time of the founding, um, they're protected. They're an arm, although not necessarily a firearm in the traditional sense. They are protected. So that's really probably the best case we have from the Supreme Court where they've sort of expanded the definition of arms beyond what we might traditionally think of as a firearm. Well, and I wouldn't even say, a, and I don't think you meant it this way, but I want to be clear with our listeners, 
the Supreme Court did not expand the meaning of arms, right? They were just sure. trying to Explain to it. identify the contours of what it meant and what the founders meant by arms. And they, of course, did not we, – we all know uh, and very few people would dispute that they meant only firearms, Yeah. okay, um, or else the Second Amendment would have said firearms. But it says it doesn't. It says the right to keep and bear arms. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, no question about that. Thank you for clarifying that. But one thing that's of interest to me, I went back and I thought, you know, how do we how do we start doing research? And I got out my old copy of Black's Law Dictionary, actually from when I was in law school, thirty, whatever that was, thirty five plus years ago. Saying was fourteen dollars then. So anyway, Black's Law Dictionary, if you don't know, is sort of an authoritative source in terms of dictionaries for the legal profession. But I looked up what arms means to you know in terms of this definition in the dictionary, and it says anything that a man wears for his defense or takes in his hands as a weapon. So to me, if you just look at Black's Law Dictionary, I think it's a there's a very good argument out there that body armor is in fact protected by the Second Amendment. I mean, I think of you know, think about a knight. He may have had a sword, but he also wore body armor or had a shield. Um, so I mean, to me, uh, I think some very good arguments can be made that body armor is, in fact, an arm um, that's protected by the Second Amendment. Yeah, and, and I'm going to link to this article here as well. I think it might be of interest to our listeners. Uh, it's a an article from Only Guns and Money. Uh, it's a blog that John Richardson uh, runs. He's uh, been a frequent guest uh, and co-host on the Polite Society podcast with Paul Lathrop. But the, the blog is called No Lawyers, Only Guns and Money, uh, which I, I kind of like. I think that's a, a nice, uh, refreshing take on things, right? Get rid of the lawyers. Just Let's just talk about guns and money. But anyway, the article is, uh, is body armor protected by the Second Amendment? And he includes a definition down here from the Dictionary of the English Language from 1755, which I think is interesting. And and oftentimes the Supreme Court goes back and looks at definitions from the time of the founding because especially originalist judges uh, or justices, if they're on the Supreme Court, are trying to ascertain what did the founders have in mind? What was the original meaning uh, when the when the Constitution and the Bill of Rights was adopted, uh, what was the contract that the states supposedly signed on to, right? Uh, and, and the Dictionary of the English Language from 1755 says that arms uh, are weapons of offense or armor of defense. Okay, so I think clearly fits in squarely with body armor. Fits in squarely with body armor. It fits not only from a, an originalist perspective but a textualist perspective. So even if you're just going by the pure meaning of the text, I think it clearly means uh, and would include uh, modern day body armor. Uh, so while we don't have clear guidance, like you said, Mike, from the Supreme Court, uh, I think that there's a good chance that the Supreme Court, if this issue came before the court, would uh, say that body armor fell within the meaning and the protection of the Second Amendment. Yep. Uh, of course, one thing we should mention, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, uh, you mentioned the Caetano case with the stun guns. Uh, the court decided that case based on what's called the common use test, which was mentioned and described uh, at fairly uh, good length in the Heller case. Um, but the idea is that any arm that is in common use for lawful purposes is an arm that's protected by the Second Amendment. Okay, and that doesn't mean just arms that were in common use for lawful purposes at the time of the founding, but it means modern arms that are in common use for lawful purposes as well. So, uh, and that 
that sort of analogy that we've heard a lot and we've made reference to and lots of others have as well between the First Amendment and the Second Amendment, right? It's not just, you know, paper and papyrus and, and uh, fountain pens that were protected by the First Amendment, right? It's, it's modern day forms of communication as well. So it's the phone, it's the computer, there are all sorts of modes of communication that are protected by the, sec- the, the First Amendment, much like there are modern forms of defense and arms that are protected by the Second Amendment. Yep. So I think you sum, uh, summarized that, and thanks for finding that other dictionary deficit, dep- definition. I'll get it out in a minute. Um, fortunately, maybe we can talk about this a little bit. We haven't seen litigation on this uh, because in most states, and first of all, we're licensed in the state of Indiana, so do your own research about, particularly about other states and whether it's legal or not legal. And I would caution you about the usual culprits, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, you know, um, those sort of states about whether body armor is legal or not legal in your jurisdiction. I know New York has, has taken some steps to outlaw it. Um, but in Indiana, anyway, I think you correct me if I'm wrong. I think generally speaking, it's it's something a law-abiding citizen can own and use body armor for lawful purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as you're not a a convicted felon, or you don't use the body armor in the commission of a criminal offense, or uh, then it's perfectly legal to have. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've uh, we use Westlaw a lot to do our legal research, but. I've pulled up the link here to Justia, which is a, a, a free online legal research reference, uh, and I've pulled up Indiana statute here. Okay. It's, it's Indiana Code 35-47-5-13. talks about unlawful use of body armor, and it says pretty much what you've just said, Mike, that uh, as used in this subsection, body armor means bullet-resistant metal or other material worn by a person provide protection from weapons or bodily injury. And it says, it goes on in subsection B, uh, a person who knowingly or intentionally uses body armor while committing a felony commits unlawful use of body armor, a level six felony. So it's lawful to use, and the statute doesn't say this, but it is lawful to have, to possess, to use body armor in Indiana, uh, except when you knowingly or intentionally use it while committing a felony. Okay. Yeah. Um, And felons and and convicted felons, I think, is another common prohibition. Right. So um, like I, like you said, Mike, uh, make sure people know the law in your state. Uh, there is some nuance uh, in each state, but mo- all states, it's my understanding, allow body armor, but there may be restrictions on how you can purchase it, for instance, uh, and how you can use it uh, Yeah, and, and it, when you can use it. And by the way, I think probably most states are like Indiana. Um, and as far as purchasing, most states are probably you can purchase purchase it in person or online. But there is a st- at least a state or two, maybe more, that say you can only buy it in person. So um, anyway, uh, it's much uh, less regulated than firearms, that's for sure, as far as uh, uh, whether you can lawfully own and possess uh, body armor. And I think that definition you provided, it's it, body armor is something you wear like a shirt or a jacket that's made of some sort of bullet resistant material whether that's steel or some other materials that we'll talk about and in the context where this uh and i want to dwell on this but i just want to mention it because this is where it comes up i've seen in in indiana law and it doesn't come up often at all i've never had a case i do a lot of criminal defense cases if you ever seen one i have never seen body armor come up in a criminal defense case uh but i have read about it 
there are very few cases. Uh, I did a little bit of research on Westlaw, and it seems like it comes up mostly in the context of resisting law enforcement. So where somebody is resisting law enforcement in a way that would be a felony, uh, for instance, in Indiana, it would be a felony if you resist law enforcement with a motor vehicle. Uh, if you do that while you are wearing body armor, that is an additional felony, okay, for the, the unlawful use of body armor uh, during the commission of a felony, which was the resisting law enforcement. Uh, so that's where I've uh, seen it come up in the cases, but I've never seen it in any case that I've handled. So it's very, very rare. It, it comes up some, but it is very, very rare. I think nationally you see it in the news. I know the North Hollywood shooting that was in the late 90s, those two criminals, murderers, um, used – I'm not sure if they had commercially purchased or it was homemade body armor, but that was involved in that case. Um, but it's used just very, very rarely. Which goes to our next point, right? The propaganda, right? the the, the mm -hmm. picture that's painted by the media, by Hollywood, et cetera, is that body armor, things like body armor, are only used by criminals. Yep. So, yeah, and that's that's how they paint it. It's either used by criminals or the only other people should ha that should have it is who? The government, of course, they want the government to have all kinds of firearms, a monopoly weapons, on the use monopoly of monopoly on the use of force, and even the de defensive defensive uh, implements as well. So um, keep that in mind. This is a defensive instrument, not an offensive instrument. Um, but it, I don't think, though, that propaganda that you hear in the media about you know why in the world would you want that? Only criminals would need that, other than the police or the military, is true. And I just maybe we can get some food for thought. Uh, for our your listeners to consider here, um, and first of all, I, I have people think about home defense. If you've got a handgun or a rifle that's staged, maybe in a safe that you can get out real quickly if something happens in the middle of the night, it seems to me prudent to maybe have some armor there as well to put on. Um, you know, a lot of times we we teach people that if somebody does invade your house, don't go looking for them. Call the police. Stay in your safe room. It might be your bedroom. Barricade yourself if you can and wait. Um, it seems to me it would be appropriate to maybe wait with some some form of body armor on as well, in addition to some other uh, offensive fire, offensive uh, tool as well. Um, and you may have family members, for instance, who are not able to handle a firearm. You don't they don't want to handle a firearm. Your husband or your wife may not want to handle a firearm, but they may want to put on they may be willing to put on some body armor if something happens in the home. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a that's a scenario that you can think about. Another one I would suggest people think about is uh, for folks, particularly if you live in one of those jurisdictions where the school boards aren't going to do anything to help arm teachers to protect kids uh, and take responsibility for the safety of our kids, you might think about putting some of this really small, thin uh, level 3A. I'm talking about a definition I haven't, I haven't defined yet, but some kind of uh, small material that they can put in their backpack and, and train them how to use that in the event they're ever uh, in a situation anywhere um, where there might be some sort of gunfire that they need to protect themselves from. Mm -hmm. um, there's also civil unrest um, scenarios where people might want it. There's just a myriad of situations where it may come up. Think about the, the, the COVID events we went through and the protests during that time. What if you lived in a city, you weren't a firearms person, and you were holed up in your apartment or your house and these things were going on outside? Yeah. It might be a time when you want somebody yeah. Or, or even today, I mean, think about the, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind for us because we live in rural Indiana. 
but even the protests with respect to the uh, Israel-Palestinian conflict, uh, right? I mean, there's all sorts of demonstrations and and uh, sort of mostly peaceful, but uh, you never know uh, these when these sorts of things can get out of hand, especially in some of these larger cities. So yeah, if that's and- somewhere where you live and, and um, you know, you want some extra protection, especially where you can't be armed otherwise, uh, you know, might be worth considering. Yeah, and it, maybe this goes in the prepper category some, but I I even read an article about a huge shortage of body armor in Ukraine, and people were making their own body armor. Even, quote, civilians were making their own body mm-hmm. armor in those yeah. instances. So, yeah. and, anyway. it's my, and it's my understanding, I don't have the citation at hand here, but I'll try to find it uh, when I'm putting together the show notes. My understanding is that body armor is this is borne out from my personal experience uh with criminal defense that it's used very little in crime and as little as like less than one percent uh i don't know the exact number but that's that's my understanding is that that it's used very very rarely in crime yeah and i think you know like i said the like you said earlier um you were talking about the propaganda of course any if it's if they can find one instance where it's where it's used they want to punish the entire public yeah. by outlawing it. Um, fortunately, they haven't decided to do that with cars yet. Mm-hmm. If, a, if a criminal uses a car in a criminal offense, maybe we should just eliminate cars for everybody because then the criminals couldn't use them, assuming the criminals would follow the law, which, of course, they wouldn't. That's interesting you mentioned that because you see it happen in the United States, but I was listening to an interview with an Austrian lawyer about gun laws in Austria. I saw that, so I want to see that. Yeah. And uh, he said that there was a guy some years ago, I don't remember what year, that used a pump-action shotgun uh, and apparently was pretty skilled with it and uh, injured and killed a bunch of people with a pump-action shotgun. So in Austria, you are forbidden from having a pump-action shotgun, but you can have a much more effective pump-action rifle, uh, You know, much more accurate, much longer range, uh, same rate of fire, all the things, but you can't have it because a pump action, uh, you can't have a pump action shotgun because it was used in one incident uh, some time ago. Yeah. And so you're right. I mean, these anti-gun, anti-freedom politicians will, will jump on any uh, horrible event for political purposes to deprive people of liberty and freedom. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, I think body... So, so number one, we think it's protected by the Second Amendment. Number two, we think that there's some absolutely legitimate reasons you might want to think about buying some and having some. And I'm not a person that's of great imaginative capacity. There are probably lots of other areas where it could law- could lawfully uh, be used and save somebody's life. But the next question is, what? so if you're interested in it, where do you start in terms of doing the research? Where do you look? Yeah. Yeah. So, so where do we start, Mike? Well, number one… Um, I'm not an expert on body armor, but I've done some research, and I'll so do your own due diligence here. But I'll say a few things about this area that I've done a little bit of research on for my personal use, and then for preparation for this podcast. Uh, first of all, uh, kind of a, a disclaimer: um, body armor is not necessarily armor first, and because you, you think armor is steel, it can be, but it's not necessarily rigid like that. But it's also not bulletproof. It's simply bullet resistant, and there can be a lot of materials that it's made out of, um, and we'll talk about those in a minute. So, but but as far as standards, if you're going to look at body armor, whether it's soft body armor or hard body armor, which we'll talk about, um, NIJ is called the national. It's it stands for the National Institute of Justice. It's a 
sub-department or a, a portion of the U.S. Department of Judge, uh, Justice, it sets standards for the uh, grading or evaluation of body armor. And I would suggest that you uh, make sure whatever body armor you buy meets um, the criteria established by the NIJ. Um, I think there's a lot of snake oil marketing out there with respect to body armor. So be careful. Uh, you know, if you see some, so if the advertising, uh, advertising consists of some dude shooting a, a piece of body armor off a table, that's probably not a good, <laughs> not, a, not a good basis to be buying your body armor. Make sure there's some laboratory tests that have been submitted and it's certified to meet NIJ standards, that sort of thing. And watch the snake oil marketing that's out there. So then you're going to have to decide whether you want soft body armor or hard body armor. And we'll talk about hard or soft body armor first in a minute. But before we talk about the different kinds, one other area is the level of protection. Remember I said body armor is bullet resistant material, not bulletproof. So fortunately in a free society, you get to pick the products out there that you want to purchase. And this, these NIJ standards, in part anyway, establish different levels of resistance to bullets that the body armor may have. And Mike, I'm going to try to share this image that you have saved. Now, that's not my. That's an image there that um, came from. Uh, what is it? Uh, we need to attribute that to them. We'll we'll go back and find it. And make sure we include it in the show. Yeah, notes. it's. Uh, gosh, but I think it's a helpful image, probably for our our listeners, if uh, at least the ones that are watching this podcast by video. Um, it and, came from Spartan Armor. This image did. Okay. So make sure you attribute. Yeah, to Spartan Armor. It's an image, and we're going to have some of their products here in a minute. We're going to show their website. But this came from their website. I don't have it pulled up quite yet here. but And I guess you can – this is just – this is not the whole screen, but it came from their website. Let me wait for you before I talk about it. Yeah, we got it pulled up now. Yeah, I guess I need to talk about it because you got people that are just listening. But anyway, this is a good example of the different levels of body armor. Uh, first, you have level 3A. Uh, then you have level three, level three plus, which I don't think is necessarily an NIJ standard, but it's sort of an industry standard. It might be an NIJ, but uh, then you have level four. Uh, level three A is the lowest. You would think three might be, and then three A would be okay. next, but three A is the lowest. It's basically going to stop handgun rounds. Basically, um, there are some handgun rounds it won't, but for the most part, and you can see that in this diagram. So keep in mind if you know most of the time as civilians, and by civilians I mean uh, police officers as well. I'll put them in, in that category because they are civilians. Um, that's what the threat's going to be, is going to be handguns. So level three then moves us up to our, uh, rifle protection, and that's going to protect us from common AK rounds of 7.62 by 3.9 and common 5.56 ammo like the 193. It will not, level three will not protect you from uh, what we commonly refer to as green tip or 5.56 caliber 62 grain ammo. Um, it has steel core and it won't protect from that. There's this special threat plates out there that protect against that. And that's depicted in this diagram as level three plus. And then of course we have level four, which is going to protect even from armor piercing 30-06 ammo. And it's basically going to be the highest level of protection you can get. Um, so there's sort of what you're going to have to choose. And you might think, oh, I just want the highest level of protection. Well, wait a second. The problem with that is, like most things, you're going to have to give up. Uh, There's some compromise, right? Compromise. There's going to be some compromises there in terms of price, weight, 
thickness, mobility, comfort, lots of things. So, mm-hmm. um, and I'll just tell you the, the end here, I would suggest most people, at least initially, think about just level 3A armor starting out. Um, it's going to provide just protection against handgun ammunition for the most part. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about, um, we talked about the levels of protection, 3A through level four. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the different materials and these other considerations you've talked about, about weight and expense and uh, those sorts of things. Yeah. So the the weight and the expense and the amount of protection, the comfort, all those things uh, are, are things that you're going to have to consider and weigh. Level 3A um, is generally going to be soft body armor. It's going to be much more comfortable. It's going to be made out of like Kevlar or what do they call it? Spectra fibers, I think it is. Think about how I think about it. If you're a fisherman, think about braided line, how thick, how tough that is. And, th- you know, and, but for it's how not small, very big, right. for how small it is. So think about that kind of material. Um, but they're flexible. They're thin. They're light. They'll sort of conform to your body a little bit. Um, they're very concealable. Uh, you can wear them under garments and people won't necessarily know you have them on. I don't know that that's as important as they're light. And somebody else, you know, we're talking about a kid or your wife or your husband, you can throw it to them and they can put it on and they'll have some protection against handguns. So um, they also fit closer to your body. Um, so if you're in a close situation where you're struggling with somebody, they can't, it stays closer to your body. You can't be choked with it like you could with a metal plate or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Okay. Now, um, we also have um, probably the, well, I won't say the cheapest, but then we move to hard body armor, and we, we talk about steel there. Um, and steel is, of all the hard um, body armor systems, it's probably going to be the cheapest, but it's also going to be the heaviest. Um, and with steel, you've got to worry about, so it provides lots of protection generally, but it's going to, uh, you've got to worry about sprawl. And what we in fragmentation, what we mean by that is if anybody shot at metal targets before, um, and you know it, 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 the the bullet hits the plate, it just splatters. You've seen the lead splatter there. That's what happens if it hits a steel plate. You're wearing his body armor. You know when the splatter and up, that and splatter hits you. can come up in your yeah, you know underneath help, your jugular, your jugular, whatever. Yeah. So you got to worry about sprawl with that. And they generally put special coatings on the steel to. Uh, I won't necessarily say it absolutely prevents it, but at least to reduce it, um, the spall. So that's something you got to worry about more with steel. Um, the thing about steel, though, is the, the positives. It's like I said, it's a little cheaper than some of the other products we're going to talk about in a minute, but it's heavy. Mm-hmm. You can drop it. You don't have to worry about it stay, being in your attic and getting hot or it getting cold. I mean, it's incredibly durable. It's not going to crack if you drop it or throw it around, that sort of thing. Um, and the shelf life, if you bought a steel body armor today, it's going to be good in 50. You can give it to yeah, Kate. Your grandkids. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's very, very heavy. Okay. Uh, another... Uh- our listeners don't know who Tate is yet. I haven't. I haven't said. Oh, I'm. Uh, well, leave this a mystery. No, no. I'll. I'll say now. Um, my wife and I had our first child. Uh, Tate was born Christmas Eve, and uh, so my. I've actually been a little inconsistent with my podcast episodes since then, but uh, trying to trying to stay on track. And uh, so, yeah, maybe maybe someday that Mike's grandson and and my son can can. Uh, take over the steel body armor that we well, have well he's not ready for steel yet that's for yeah. sure probably not even ready for the soft stuff but <laughs> right but anyway although you could i mean if you needed to you could there's some soft stuff around you could shield him with yeah, if you needed exactly. to in a wrong situation yeah 
Uh, anyway, another t uh, another uh, material that you can think about kind of going up the scale in terms of cost um, is generally ceramic. Um, it's And you think ceramic, oh my gosh, that just busts. Well, as a matter of fact, that's a downside of it. It's not as... It's not as good in terms of rough handling. You don't want to throw that stuff around and beat it around because it can crack. But it's very good um, in terms of stopping bullets if it's used in, manu in a manufacturing process to make a bulletproof vest. You, you're going to get less spalling with it. Um, and, and part of that's right because it's – is it – why does it sprawl less than steel? Is it because it's somewhat flexible well, or it, because it cracks? I think because some, it cracks and it absor there's more absorption instead yeah. of simply just, just repelling yeah. okay. the bullet. Yeah. Um, once again, I'm not an absolute expert on that, but yeah. that's what it does. It just absor it, it absorbs it. Yeah. And it's not – I don't think it's a good thing about steel. Steel is, in my mind, going to be better multi-hit. Ceramic's not necessarily going to be better for multiple hits, but ceramic is going to be much lighter, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and, and we're talking about a lot of times two plates, one in the front, one in the back. So if that steel plate weighs six pounds, that's a lot of weight because mm -hmm. you got to have a carrier for it too. So anyway, um, but they're going to be more ex expensive, the ceramic stuff is. And then we have a third kind of category uh, is the composite stuff. And it's sort of maybe the kind of the best of both worlds in terms of, you know, providing protection and almost like steel maybe in some are very good protection, a little more durable um, and doesn't have as a short a shelf life. A lot of times you'll see ceramic rated for just like five years or something. Mm -hmm. But this composites, a lot of times um, they're made out of uh, – uh, like a polyethylene material of some sort, and I'm not a chemist, but anyway, that's uh, something that you it, may. It, it reminds me sort of like oh, we ride motorcycles, kind of like a material you might see a motorcycle helmet made out of to some degree. I don't know if it's the same or not, but that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, it's. More, I mean, I don't know that it's the same as you know the motorcycle helmets how they make it. Uh, we'll talk about one of the manufacturers here in a little bit, but they can make it much lighter, mm -hmm. much thinner. So it's you know you're, you're dealing with less weight. Um, so you've got these thinner, uh, lighter plates that protect, that have a high, high level of protection. Um, but guess what, guess what the downside of that is? The cost. Cost. Yeah. And, and like, uh, ceramic composite is pretty much a one-time use, right? Like no, some of them, right. That's one thing we'll talk about. You, you're going to have to look there. Well, one-time use. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to want, if it, if, if you, if, you, if, it, if, it's if you hits, get, yeah, it's done. Um, but whether a plate has multi-hit capability is something that you want to look at. A lot of these plates are rated. I think the NIJ standard may say there's a, a standard for either five or six hit capability. Okay. So, All right. And you got to be careful with some of them. That multi-hit capability, is it just in the center or how well do they protect when you get out closer to the edges? So yeah. that's a good question. And you'll have to do your due diligence there with respect to the whatever product you want. But, I mean, it's like everything else. There's a compromise. All right, so let's look, uh, Mike. You've you've saved a few links here with just some examples. Uh, we've we've got part Spartan Armor Systems dot com pulled up, and we're not affiliated with them in any way. Uh, we just sort of picked them at random. Actually, and, I own some of their stuff. So. Yeah, but we're not we're not sponsored. We're not affiliated in any way. Uh, just thought that they have good products, and and uh, got a website here. We're going to look at and just kind of 
go through a few examples. Yeah, I brought, and this is kind of makes me think about something you may want to give to your wife or your husband or a kid, or, you know, you could carry it around if you needed to, you could put it in a backpack for your child, you could, lots of things that you could do. But what I bought from them personally was some soft body armor. And I don't know how you're pointing to this stuff or whatever, but um, there's a little plate carrier there. That, I don't know if you can point to it. It's at the top there on the left. Well, that's got, no, that's not it. Yeah, it's got the hard stuff. It, right there, it is actually that's multicam, but yeah, there, but it's, this has got really flexible, pliable material in it. It's almost like some sort of insulating. Well, it's not that light, but it's it's very easy, very light to wear, and you know, it's just level three A though, so yeah. it's only going to protect against most handgun rounds. But you can see there, it's a vest with two plates, right, a front and a back plate. And it looks like the range of the price there is three nineteen to three sixty nine. Yeah, it depends on what size you want. Yeah, yeah. and then yeah. you can you can buy just if you go on down, you can buy a backpack from them and put a put the plate in the backpack. Yeah, put the plate in the backpack. You can buy the material if you want and put it in your own backpack. You can buy different sizes. We have you know, so there's a place where you can look at some of that softer three mm -hmm. A type uh, material. Like I said, it's very that stuff's very pliable. And you can basically, you can almost, I wouldn't suggest you do it, but you can almost bend it on itself. Hmm. So anyway, that's, so that's one possibility people could consider or might want to research. I'm not, like I said, I'm not endorsing anything one way or the other, just telling you what, where I bought a little and yeah. you might want to look at that. And that's a representative sample. Yeah. And you can see here, you can sort, uh, if you go to the homepage, you can sort by threat, you can sort by level of protection, by material, by lots of different ways here. So um, they help break down mm -hmm. the, the options pretty, pretty well. Um, now you've got a few other, uh, sources yeah. here yeah, as you know, well. Yeah. You know, we talked, well, we talked about, uh, the soft body armor. Now we'll go to the hard stuff and we talked about ceramic. So here's a couple samples and this is T-Rex arms. Now these guys have probably forgotten more about body armor than I know. Um, but they, they're, it's a, I think it's a great company, uh, reputable. These guys know their stuff. They're great shooters. They're, they love freedom. Um, at least I think they do. They're, so here's a couple examples. I think it's the middle of the road um, in terms of price. Um, these are ceramic plates. Hesco is the company they're selling right here. They have other stuff, and they have videos. You go there. We have an L. Looks like that's out of, out of stock. It's an L210 Hesco. Um, and HESCO, by the way, is what I understand. I don't know what the Army's doing now um, for sure, but it, you, the Army used to use HESCO products, and they may still use HESCO products in terms of body armor. So it's a reputable company. They're not out there doing a lot of marketing because they mostly sell to government, but T-Rex Arms sells these. I think probably that's your best bang for the buck on the market, in all honesty, if you want hard armor. You know, mm -hmm. hard armor plates. And these are going to be level three uh, plus. They're going to be uh, – I think they're going to be rated for five, five, six green tip. Do your do your research here, but they've got an L three ten and an M three ten. The only difference between the two, I think, is the M is what's called multi curved versus just singularly curved. Um, and what I mean by that is the body, you know, your torso is rounded. Um, the L is only rounded maybe this way horizontally, whereas the M is rounded this way as well because your your torso is rounded in two directions. So the multi-curve stuff is going to be a little bit more comfortable probably for you, and it's, it's just going to fit better. That's yeah, it. 
um, if you're watching this episode by video, you can see here on the website, it says the HESCO M210 is a multi-curve special threat plate capable of stopping most intermediate threats along with some light armor piercing rounds like the M855A1 and the 7.62 by 39 API. Uh, so anyway, you, you can see here it says it's similar in construction to the single curve L210, but its multi-curve design greatly increases comfort and concealability. While not as cost-effective as the L210, if you have the money, the improvements are worth yeah, it. Yeah, and I would and I would submit to you that the multi-curve is worth the money. But yeah. like I said, your mileage may vary. But please, but note this thing. What was the L? It's three hundred eighty dollars for a set. Okay, keep that in mind. What I'm telling you, a set, the multi-curve, yeah, they they're out of stock right now. But 380 a set. The M series is 610 to 810 a set, and that's going to depend on the cut. We can talk about that in a minute. Yeah, that's going to depend on the cut you want and the size. Yeah. So, but that's for a that's a set price. Okay? Right. So you can get three for 380 bucks. You know, you think oh, I'm not going to use it, but I want it in case something happens. You might buy the, the L series and put it in the closet, and right. you know. Um, you got to be careful, and, and that makes sense to me for somebody that's probably not going to use it because you're not, you know, remember I said ceramic can you can break it if you handle a lot. Mm -hmm. You don't want to throw it on your arm, your tank, and or whatever on a piece of metal yeah. and it, it'll bust. Right. Um. So uh, that might be something folks want to think about okay. in terms of best bang for the buck. And keep in mind that thing's going to weigh depends on which size you get. We're talking probably five pounds, and I think six tenths of an inch. So remember that three hundred eighty dollars. For a set that's a uh, six tenths of an inch thick and about five pounds. Well, I just stop stop sharing the screen, but I'll pull it back up here. They have the the weight uh, and size diagram okay, down here uh, that I just reshared. A small is four point three pounds, and all are the same thickness. Uh, but the large or the extra large is six point seven pounds, so it ranges from four point three pounds to six point seven pounds. Yeah, so and that's for the M two ten. So that may be the best bang for the buck out there. So let's look at something maybe some people would say is a little more primo if you want to. And that would be um, Shot Stop is a company that makes armor. And this is some of that polyethylene material I was talking about. So it's going to be a little better than the ceramic probably because you can throw it around a little bit more. I think it's got a 15-year warranty, but it's going to be more durable. Is it as durable as a steel plate? No, probably not. Nothing's going to be more durable than a steel or very little. Is ever going to be more durable than a steel plate, but more durable than ceramic in terms of being able to throw it around, drop it, that sort of thing. I think it's got a 15-year warranty. And Check this is out. a shot stop at shotstop.net. Yeah, and they've got various plates. The one I happen to have is the Duritium, D-U-R-I-T-I-U-M G2, and it's a special threat plate too. It'll stop basically green tip 5.56 five, and down, um, but... What's the price? So it's and it's going to be about uh, six tenths of an inch thick too, just like the Hesco, and it's but and it's going to weigh three point eight pounds. So you're going to you're going to lose it's light. one point two pounds. It's going to be very light, very thin. You don't have to worry about throwing it around as much as the ceramic. But seven hundred forty six dollars a plate not per a plate set. per plate. Yeah. So, so you're looking at a comparable cost of basically fifteen hundred dollars versus. Six to eight hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so that's what you're looking at in terms of this, you know, concept that you you know you don't get it. You know, there's no free lunch. Yeah. 
but okay. there's a huge, there's, there's a lot of options. That's the beauty of a free market, right? There's lots of options, lots of, lots of competition. Uh, you just have to know where to start and what to look for. Yeah. But that $380, maybe that's why they're out of stock. It's a deal. That $380 L210, L210 from uh, T-Rex arms where they're selling the HESCO. That's kind of hard bang for the buck. That's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Um, so some other things I mentioned a while ago, cut. Uh, you're going to have to choose, and you can look this up online. You're going to have to choose whether you, you know you don't want this square thing because it's just not going to be comfortable. But they make shooters cuts, which sort of kind of cut off the edge, so you can move a little better and put a butt stock up there. They make swimmers cuts, which are cut even more lower, making it more comfortable to move around. Um, of course, with everything else, to get something being able to move around more, it makes the plate smaller. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you don't have as much coverage. Um, so anyway, um, you're going to have to decide, you know, what you want in terms of cuts. I'm not sure what I can add to that. Let me see if I've got a note here. Um, well, they have what's called SAMPI plates, uh, small arms protective inserts. They're basically a shooter's cut, but they have radius corners on them that are kind of, they're rounded. So that's another thing to think about. Um, I mentioned the, edge-to-edge protection make sure you're getting something that protects not just the middle of the plate but the you know going out you'll have to make some size some decisions about sizes kind of 10 by 12 is usually typical for most people um you'll have to decide whether you want side protection or not if you're going to go that route um versus just protection in the front and the rear um, trauma pads sometimes you'll need that because different materials deform they get hit and then if the back face deforms and so some people think you need trauma plates. You may need trauma plates um, because of the back face deformation as well. Something else to think about. So there's okay. lots of things to think about when you purchase these. Yeah. Well, um, I think this is a great start for lots of folks that are considering body armor. And, and maybe if you weren't considering body armor, maybe you've figured out that, hey, this might be useful for me or, or for there might be some use case for this and uh, something you might consider. So. Uh, Mike, I know you've got a few other resources here that uh, I think we'd like to point out to people. One is Greg Elifritz. Uh, he's got a, a link uh, on his website, Active Response Training, where he talks about body armor. I think that might be useful for folks. The other one is um, a study that we thought was... Well, I'm not sure about that study Yeah, in terms uh, of what it shows. I, I'm going to try to... This is what I was referring to earlier. I'm going to try to find... Uh, this study that supposedly shows that body armor is used in uh, fewer than 1% of, of crimes. So um, this study we, we've linked to, I'll link to I mean, it. It's violent crimes. Violent crimes. But I'm not sure that's, yeah, I'm not sure about that statistic. I'll, I'll link to it, to this study anyway, just because it's sort of interesting, but um, it, it doesn't point to what it said that we thought it was going to point to. So we'll, we'll try to track that, that, information down for you all and put it in the show notes. Um, but with that said, Mike, what else do you, would you like to say before we close up here about body armor and what I, people I just, should consider? I just think the other thing is, and we talked about the level 3A stuff, the soft stuff, that's not so hard in terms of carriers, but you're going to have to put the, if you want the hard body armor, you have to put it in something, mm-hmm. which is what we call a carrier. Um, and I would refer you to, I think Greg mentioned some 
different carriers. Uh, T-Rex Arms, I know they sell a lot of carriers. Uh, I mean, if you're just going to put it in your safe with your rifle, you know, for that bump in the night thing, your safe room, um, maybe you you don't need a mill, you know, something that somebody that's dropping out of an airplane in Afghanistan needs, but um, do your research on the carriers as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Cry makes good uh, carriers. I think that's C-R-Y-E. I have an AR-500 armor carrier. I think they're Testudo. Um, So anyway, Orion does maybe. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, just do your research on the carriers as well. Uh, T-Rex Arms is a good good resource for that along with Greg Ellifritz's article. Okay. Well, I will certainly link to um, most of these references that we've mentioned. I'll, I'll make, try to make sure that I get all of them. Uh, of course, if people have questions, don't hesitate to uh, leave a comment in the in the comment section. Um, Mike, anything else you want to say? Before Are we going to do a little up? trivia thing? Oh yeah, let's do it. Um, so I got a trivia question. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I think Mike, you spent uh, most of the day yesterday teaching a uh, NRA basic pistol course. And I think, um, I don't know, was, was this trivia thing that uh, did it, was that the genesis of it, thinking about it during the, the class yeah, yesterday? It's kind of, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, we're going to just give a little piece of trivia here. Uh, and if people want to try to answer it in the comments uh, prior to the next episode, we'll, uh, we'll certainly look forward to your responses in the comments. Yeah, I just thought it'd be something fun for people to think about. And, and yesterday's class in particular didn't wasn't the genesis of this, but just teaching in general. And I thought, I don't know, it might be kind of cool just to yeah. see if people know as much as they think they know. Yeah, and, and, and for that matter, if people have questions or topics that you'd like to, to hear us talk about, you know, certainly let us know in the comments. We're, we're happy to take listener feedback and talk about the things that you want to want to hear about. All right, here's the question for the day then. Um, a perceptible delay in the ignition of a cartridge after the primer has been struck by the firing pin is a misfire or hang fire? Okay. Do you know the answer to that? All right. If you're listening to this and you know the answer, awesome. If you don't, maybe it'll insti- maybe it'll make you look it up and learn yeah. something. Misfire or hang fire? Yeah, what's yeah? What is it a miss? A perceptible delay in the ignition of a cartridge after the primer has been struck by the firing pin. Right. Is it a misfire or hang fire? And we'll answer next time. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks. I think that's where we'll leave it for today, Mike. Thanks for again for for tagging along. Uh, thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, of course, as always, you can find the podcast on YouTube, Rumble, Facebook by video. You can also find it. Uh, by podcast on all of the most popular podcast streaming platforms. If you would, uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. That helps us spread the message of freedom. And if you're on Facebook, or I'm sorry, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave a review. That helps us there as well. And of course, you can always find the show and the show notes on our website at forgeoffreedom.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Forge of Freedom. Uh, so until next time, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I hope you learned a little something about body armor today. And until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Forge of Freedom. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Alex, you can go to forgeoffreedom.com or follow him on Twitter at Forge of Freedom. Until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom.